Demopolis, a small town in west-central Alabama, is the home to many a tale of ghosts and the unexplained, including Gaineswood, one of the most haunted structures in the state. Gaineswood, a Greek revival plantation house, is said to be the home of the ghost of a young woman who served as nanny. She loved to play musical instruments with the children in her care. But one winter, the music stopped and darkness fell when she died. Legend says her spirit remained at Gaineswood. Visitors who tour the home have reported hearing the sound of a piano playing in an empty room and strange apparitions. It's believed the nanny plays the piano to entertain guests with the music she loves. Just over a mile from Gaineswood is Bluff Hall, one of the oldest Greek revival plantation homes in the state. Bluff Hall is described in historical records as a house that appears fortress-like in its strength and severity. The home's six white square columns are part of that powerful appearance, along with its location. The mansion was constructed on a limestone cliff known as the White Bluffs, overlooking the Tom Bigby River. The haunted history of Bluff Hall often relates to the first family who lived in the home when it was constructed in the 1830s. But there is a darker history associated with Bluff Hall. There are the enslaved who built this grand old home and a funeral service held there following the deaths of four members of one family, including the man who would have inherited Bluff Hall. The Demopolis Times shared this chilling report on November 29, 1934. Undoubtedly, the most shocking tragedy that has happened in the city of Demopolis was discovered Sunday morning at the home on the corner of Cedar and Perry Streets. While the city was peacefully sleeping, death came into the home and took the lives of an entire family. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring the history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the Smith Family Massacre. On a Sunday morning in October 1933, Bluff Hall was decorated with dahlias and roses for a wedding celebration. A small group of family and friends witnessed the wedding of Elsie Hildreth Alkire and Frank Clement Smith. The bride carried a bouquet of pink rosebuds and lilies of the valley. Clara Smith, the mother of the groom, along with other family members, were corsages of pink rosebuds. Months later, in February 1934, the local society page described a lovely party hosted by Elsie Smith and her mother-in-law, Clara, at Bluff Hall. Lovely potted plants were used in the hall and grand living room, where the women played games and celebrated their wins with prizes of linen handkerchiefs and fine stationery. Sadly, by November, Bluff Hall would be the setting for the funeral of the Smith family. Inside one casket, Elsie Smith and her three-year-old son, Frank Alcar Jr. In the second, Frank Smith 
was laid to rest with the Smith's infant daughter, Sabra. Demopolis was home to only 4,000 people in 1934. The small, tight-knit community found these deaths hard to process, especially when news began to spread about the person who may have been responsible. The morning of Sunday, November 25th, the four members of the family had been discovered fatally shot and killed in their home at the corner of Cedar and Perry Streets, not far from Bluff Hall. The November 25th edition of the Demopolis Times detailed the discovery of the bodies and the crime scene, writing that they were found dead in the master bedroom with a silent testimony of bullets to tell the story of how they came to their deaths. The Smith's housekeeper, Gertrude Robertson, arrived for work at her usual time that morning. She prepared breakfast for the family, but when no one came downstairs, she went to the master bedroom and knocked. With no answer, she assumed the Smiths had overslept. She opened the door, and she looked in. She saw Frank Smith lying on the floor, and it was clear he was dead. Terrified, Miss Robertson ran from the room and went across the street to the home of Mr. Isidore Coke. Through tears, she explained to Mr. Coke what she had seen. He said he'd check out the house. Mr. Coke walked into the Smith's home, where he entered the master bedroom. There he saw Frank Smith's body, and then realized, in that room, were the bodies of Frank's wife and children. The neighbor described the crime scene as the most awful thing he had ever seen. It was shocking to see Frank Smith dead on the floor. Elsie Smith lay across the bed with her arms folded. Three-year-old Frank Jr. was lying on the bed, and two-month-old Sabra was tucked into her crib for what should have been a peaceful sleep. All of them had been shot to death. The coroner was called to the scene, and once he took charge, only a few people were allowed to enter the room. Coroner Hickman locked the door, and his team set about trying to determine what happened in the room. As investigators were inside the house, news spread about the deaths. Hundreds of people gathered around the Smith's home and more around Bluff Hall, where Frank Smith's mother, Clara, was told of the death of her son and his family. Frank had spent his childhood at Bluff Hall, but Clara never imagined she'd organize his funeral inside the walls of one of the grandest homes in the region. Bluff Hall had been owned by the prominent Lyon family from the time it was constructed in 1832 until 1907, when Andrew Reed Smith and his wife Clara purchased it. The Smiths moved to Demopolis from their hometown of Tuscaloosa just around the turn of the century, when Andrew purchased the local electric light plant. Their three sons grew up at Bluff Hall, Frank Clements, Fenton Reed, and Charles Singleton were all blonde-haired, blue-eyed, heartbreakers in the making, as their family called them. Frank grew into a man who was described as gentle and of a pleasant demeanor. He graduated from the University of Alabama and returned to Demopolis to work with his father at the electric plant until Andrew Smith organized the Commercial National Bank in Demopolis and sold the plant. 
Frank went to work as a cashier at Commercial National Bank. Andrew Smith passed away in 1932, leaving Bluff Hall to his wife, Clara, whose middle son, Frank, still lived in the home, along with younger brother, Singleton, and Singleton's wife and son. Clara hosted many happy occasions at Bluff Hall, including the wedding of Frank to Elsie Hildreth Alcar. It was Frank's first marriage and Elsie's third. When they married, Frank became the stepfather to Elsie's two-year-old son, Frank Jr. In September 1934, they welcomed their first daughter, Sabra. Frank and Elsie were doting parents who were said to idolize both of their children. Elsie's divorces were the talk of town during her short engagement to Frank. At this time, divorce was still viewed as something associated with low morals. Being a twice-divorced woman in the Deep South in the 1930s was frowned upon and made things challenging for Elsie in social circles. She was born to a respectable family in Florida, but spent time in Alabama with her extended Hildreth family. Elsie's father died young, leaving her grandfather to care for her and her siblings. He moved the family to Prescott, Arizona. Elsie struggled with the loss of her father and the move to the other side of the country and responded by acting out. By the time she was 19, Elsie married George Finch in an intimate ceremony with family and friends. Soon after the marriage, the couple moved to Riverside, California, where Finch worked at a car dealership. For reasons we'll never know, Elsie left George just a few weeks into the move. She returned to Alabama to live with relatives. Four years later, 28-year-old Elsie returned to Arizona, where she met Josiah Franklin Alcar, the son of a prominent rancher. They married in December 1929 and welcomed their son Frank in 1931. Within a year, Elsie left Arizona with her son and returned to family in Marengo County, Alabama. While visiting friends in Demopolis, the now 32-year-old Elsie met charming, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, 35-year-old Frank Clement Smith. The two fell hard and fast. Elsie traveled to Arizona to finalize her divorce from Josiah so she would be free to marry Frank. How did Frank and Elsie go from the euphoric joy of new love and settling into their new life in Demopolis to being found dead in their home just a year after they married? Marengo County Sheriff Sam Drinkard and Demopolis Police Chief William Bedford Davis led the investigation in coordination with Coroner Hickman. They worked diligently to answer the question of how this family died and who had the motive to kill them. Gertrude Robertson, the housekeeper who discovered the bodies, was questioned and ruled out. A young man who worked for the Smith family was also questioned immediately after they were found dead. Police theorized this had been robbery gone wrong, and it was 1934 in the Jim Crow South. They immediately assumed if the home had been robbed and white people inside had been killed, it must have been the black man who worked for the wealthy family, John Robertson. Robertson was arrested but released within 24 hours when authorities confirmed the Smiths were still wearing all of their jewelry and no valuables had been taken from the property. 
Sheriff Drinkard called in support, a fingerprint expert from the Selma, Alabama Police Department. Officer George Porter was charged with testing two pistols found in the room where the Smiths died. Three days after they died, the coroner's jury was impaneled. The Selma Times Journal reported on information revealed during the inquest. Frank Smith was last seen alive by the housekeeper, Gertrude Robertson, around 10.30 Saturday night. Miss Robertson cared for the Smith's children while the couple had gone out to a friend's for dinner. According to testimony from friends and witnesses who had seen Frank and Elsie on Saturday night, the couple spent most of the night at the home of those friends. Demopolis Police Chief Davis testified during their investigation, they learned Frank and Elsie had quarreled while they were at the webs, but investigators were not able to establish what the Smiths argued about. The couple left the webs around 9.30 with a friend who had dined at the webs with the Smiths, Austin R's. Austin left his car at the nearby Demopolis Inn and the Smiths agreed to drop him off to pick it up. They returned to the webs just before 10 p.m., left for home, and arrived home around 10.30. When Frank walked into the house, he greeted Gertrude Robertson and told her he'd take care of giving their baby her bottle and she could go home. Gertrude testified this was a little odd because Frank had never offered to do that before, but Miss Robertson agreed and left the house. She never saw Elsie that night, but believed she heard her in the next room. When Miss Robertson returned the next morning, she didn't notice anything out of place before she discovered the horrific scene in the master bedroom. Testimony details the scene in the Smith's bedroom, including a chilling detail about the discovery of Elsie Smith's body. Elsie was found fully clothed, laying across the foot of the bed. She was shot once in each breast, and authorities believe the killer tampered with her body after death. Elsie's hands were placed over each wound, and her elbows were pushed down neatly beside her. Her three-year-old son, Frank, had been shot and lay at her side. Six-week-old Sabra had been shot while sleeping in her crib. Police believe the killer stood over Sabra's crib and shot the child through the screen that covered it. Frank Smith, dressed in his pajamas, lay on the floor near the foot of the bed with a bullet wound to his head. Investigators found two weapons in the master bedroom, an automatic pistol in the closet, and an older-style 32 caliber revolver that was discovered under the bed. Investigators found a lead bullet in the room, along with four still-jacketed cartridges that had been fired by the automatic. Elsie and Sabra had been killed by still-jacketed bullets. Three-year-old Frank and Frank Smith had been killed by lead bullets. Police also found a liquor bottle and two glasses with remnants of whiskey on a table in the room. The chief was questioned about Elsie's ex-husband, Josiah Alkire, who she quickly divorced so she would be free to marry Frank Smith. Authorities confirmed Josiah was out west at the time of the deaths and had been ruled out as a suspect, along with Elsie's first ex-husband. 
Coroner Hickman explained to the jury the condition of the bodies made it clear there was an hour and a half between the first and second shootings in that room. He theorized the crime had been committed by an intruder who hesitated to kill the entire family when something went wrong. Medical expert Dr. C.N. Lacey also testified to the condition of the bodies. He agreed with the coroner that someone had tampered with the body of Elsie Smith after death. As he put it, there were peculiarities with the wounds of all the victims. Dr. Lacey theorized the deaths of the Smiths had been murder-suicide. This was a shocking revelation to the coroner's jury, but Dr. Lacey's testimony was supported by George Porter's analysis of the weapons at the scene. Porter revealed the only fingerprints found on the two weapons police confirmed were used to kill the family were from one person, Frank Smith. The day after the jury was initially impaneled, Coroner Hickman spoke with the press and added an air of mystery to the case when he made statements that alluded to an outsider being responsible for all of the deaths. Days after the coroner's jury reached a verdict, our Southern home printed the shocking results. The verdict stated, from the evidence presented, Mrs. Elsie Hildreth Smith, Sabra Clement Smith, and Frank Alkire died of pistol wounds homicidal about 3 a.m. November 25th at their residence on South Cedar Street in Demopolis, and Francis Clement Smith died about 4.30 a.m. at the same residence of pistol wounds suicidal. The coroner explained no evidence was developed at the hearing that revealed a motive. Coroner Hickman clarified the verdict ended the investigation of the tragedy. As far as the coroner's office was concerned, the case was closed. The name of the person responsible for the deaths of Elsie, Frank Jr., and Sabra was never mentioned in the coroner's verdict, which left people in the community feeling there could be more to this. It was hard to believe Frank Smith, who seemed so devoted to his wife and their children, would take their lives, especially with no clear motive. Demopolis Chief Davis was questioned about Frank Smith's work. The chief said authorities examined Frank Smith's books and found everything in perfect order. There was no sign of embezzlement or any financial issues for the Smiths. With money issues ruled out as motive, the community was left with one theory, which was printed in the Linden Democrat Reporter. It is believed jealousy drove Mr. Smith to the breaking point. What did the Smiths fight about? And were they fighting over a third party in their marriage? Something set Frank off and led to the tragic events early the next morning. Was Austin Ars in any way involved in that argument? He was the friend the couple dined with at the Webbs. They had driven him to his car at the Demopolis Inn. And perhaps something happened on that drive that upset Frank. There's also a question about the timeline of the Smiths' whereabouts the night before they died, which was never answered at the inquest. But when the couple arrived home, it was Frank who greeted the housekeeper, who never saw Elsie. Chief Davis testified at the inquest 
There was no way to know if Elsie was at home when Frank arrived. In fact, the chief said they could not account for Elsie's whereabouts between the time she left the Webb's house at 10 p.m. Saturday until the time she was killed in the Smith's home around 3 a.m. Sunday. Had Elsie been somewhere else with someone else? Had someone other than Frank's wife entered the Smith's home with him when he returned around 10.30? We'll never know exactly what happened late that night into those early morning hours that ended with Frank Smith's destruction of his life, his innocent children, his wife, and himself. In the early 1920s, Frank Smith had named his mother, Clara, beneficiary of his will, which included his inheritance of Bluff Hall. Clara remained there with her youngest son, Singleton, and his family. Less than a decade after Frank, Elsie, and their children died, Clara Smith endured yet another Smith family tragedy. In 1923, Frank's older brother, Fenton, married Alice Bright and moved to the Panama Canal Zone, where Fenton worked for the Panama Railroad Company. Alice died in the Canal Zone after contracting Spanish flu. Fenton remained there and continued his work with the railroad. In his free time, he loved heading out on fishing excursions. The headlines of the March 26, 1943 edition of the Tuscaloosa News shared updates about the ongoing Second World War, along with this heartbreaking news from the Smith family. The Tuscaloosa friends of Mrs. Smith of Demopolis will learn with profound regret of the death of her son, Fenton Reed Smith, which occurred in the Panama Canal region as the result of a drowning while on a fishing trip. Because of the war situation, his body will be cremated and kept until transportation is permitted for its return to the States, where he will be buried in the family lot at Evergreen Cemetery. Fenton Reed Smith was 48 years old. Clara Smith remained at Bluff Hall until 1948. The then 77-year-old decided to sell the house and move to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, where she died in 1955. In March 1967, the Marengo County Historical Society purchased Bluff Hall to convert it into a historic house museum that you can visit today. If you ever tour Bluff Hall, you'll learn a lot about the history of one of the grandest old homes in Alabama, along with its former owners. The one thing that isn't mentioned when Andrew and Clara Smith's time as owners is discussed are the tragic deaths of Frank, Elsie, Sabra, and Frank Jr., what the Demopolis Times called the most shocking tragedy that has ever happened in the city of Demopolis. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. The Smith Family Massacre, the funeral of Frank, Elsie, Frank Jr., and Sabra at Bluff Hall could be connected to the tales of hauntings at Bluff Hall. From the time it was built in the 1830s by the enslaved until it was sold to the Historical Society, there's been a lot of dark history associated with this Greek Revival mansion. It seems some spirits have remained at Bluff Hall and have made an appearance from time to time. 
Dr. Alan Brown has written about haunted places in Alabama, including those spirits at Bluff Hall. He shared in 2003, the Demopolis Chamber of Commerce president, Kathy Leverett, was spending the night at Bluff Hall with her daughter and some of her daughter's friends. It was the night before Halloween. Just before they turned in for the night, they heard noises coming from upstairs. One of them mentioned it sounded like a kid jumping rope. After a few minutes, the sound went away, the kid settled in, and fell asleep. Kathy heard that sound again and decided she needed to check and see what was happening upstairs. As she was walking up the staircase, she made it to the fifth step when she felt as though someone or something was near her. She looked down and saw a little boy, about eight years old, He had long hair and was dressed in a period nightgown. Kathy's immediate reaction was not fear. It was sadness because she sensed this child was looking for his mother. She turned to walk down the stairs and the boy disappeared. Dr. Brown said this experience led Kathy Leverett to research the history of Bluff Hall. With the help of the Marengo County Historical Society, She learned that on April 29, 1877, Leonidas Mecklenburg Polk died at Bluff Hall. He was the grandson of the original owners. He contracted scarlet fever while visiting his grandparents. The boy was just eight years old. It's said that during his illness, Leonidas kept asking for his mother. Tragically, he died without ever seeing his mother again. It's believed little Leonidas will always be at Bluff Hall, looking for his mother. Thanks for listening to this episode of Southern Mysteries. You can find the sources in the full show notes at southernmysteries.com. And if you're up for hearing more stories, you can join me on Patreon. When you support the show, you make it possible for me to continue researching and creating Southern Mysteries. As a thanks for your support, you get bonus episodes and access to the Southern Mysteries archive. You can learn more about it and join today at southernmysteries.com. Music